walking through Corinthians, and love is this section that we're in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, that great love chapter is kind of that, the, the, the Oreo cookie, it's the sweet stuff in the middle, right? And then Paul's got some hard teachings, but also Corinthians 13, as we look at it, was also some hard stuff, right? Like it's, it's denying self and it's putting the needs of other people first. And so what Paul does is he just established that we are to use our gifts to benefit the whole community in chapter 12. Love is the primary behavior in a, in a believer's life. And now he combines those two things in first, uh, Corinthians chapter 14. The uncontrolled exercise of these gifts in these gatherings created a chaotic environment that was not healthy or beneficial to everyone. That's why when we say we don't create chaos, we talked about fear, but also in our gatherings, what those gatherings are, they're not to be chaotic. They're not to be uh, obviously fearful, but they are to be orderly and worshipful. And so Paul says that there are sometimes, Corinthians, when you got together, that it, that it wasn't beneficial. It wasn't good for those people who were, who were gathering. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He says, let love what be your highest goal. Why is love our highest goal? Love is our highest goal because I'm looking out for the benefit of others. I'm looking out for the welfare of others. It's not about my interest. It's about your interest. It's about what I can do to benefit and build you up. Which is why in our conversation about fear and about chaos is I'm not doing anyone a favor by stirring fear up in your life. I, we, my, my, my goal as a believer is to love and to help you and to benefit you, not myself. We treat other people how we are. Like we look at the world how we are. And what Paul says, you have to have a bigger view of who you are. And so in... 14. Let's just read verses 1 to 12, and we'll come back and unpack and then have an application for us. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries of the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. See the theme so far? Paul says in the church, because you could do this doesn't mean you should do this. You need to Make choices and restrain what you're doing, what? To edify and to build up others. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. What's Paul saying? You build, you, you excel in things what, that build up other people. 
Paul is sensitive in verse 2. He says that for, he says, there is a horizontal dimension to our relationship. There is a community that we are a part of. And it's not just me and Jesus. It's, it's all of us together. And so Paul says, he says, there's, this, there's a problem that some of you Corinthians are using your gifts, but it's only building you up. There were some who were able to speak in foreign languages that they had never studied or had never heard. And Paul says, listen, when you do that, nobody understands what you're saying. It may feel good to you, but nobody else is benefiting. And so what's Paul's directive? Paul's directive is don't do it. Like, like stop doing that. That's why he says there is a there is a benefit of prophecy. What is prophecy? We often think prophecy is for forthtelling, like it's going to, it's, or foretelling, it's going to tell the future. That's not what prophecy was. Prophecy was, here's the, here's the need of the moment, here's God's word for the moment, and I want to encourage you and challenge you in God's word for the moment. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is, here's the word of, for the moment in our situation. So whether it's in Corinth or it's, it's coronavirus, Paul is saying there's a, there's a prophetic word. In other words, there's something that applies to today, like something that you need to get from that. And so Paul says, I would rather you do that than in a way that nobody understands what you're saying. And so Paul says love is the love of neighbors at the center stage. Leviticus 19.18 says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You see how practical that is for us, even as we have our conversations about what's happening in the world today? Love is that it does no harm to a neighbor. And, and sometimes the harm is that we are, we are uh, uh, spreading falsehoods or we're spreading fear or we're spreading things that's, that does not benefit who? Who is our neighbor? And so you may think, well, who's my neighbor? People ask Jesus that, right? So we're, we want to draw the line. We want to say, well, this person is my neighbor, but this person isn't my neighbor. And neighbor in Scripture is anybody you have a common contact with that you have the opportunity to love is your neighbor. It's not the person at the, with the address next to yours. Your neighbor is what? Those in this life. And so what Paul says is that this love of neighbor are through actions that benefit the, benefit the neighbor. So, so what does Paul say? Paul says in the first part of this, he says, is that there needs to be some intelligibility. There needs to be some clarity. He says that there needs to be this, this idea that people understand what you're doing. And so remember, the focus in 1 Corinthians 14 is not on the, is not on the wow things. Those are just the illustrations. Paul is not giving us how, how, a, 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 a treatise on, on uh, what does it mean uh, to have gifts of, of tongues and those kinds of things. What Paul is saying is, I want to use your example, Corinthians, of what's happening in your uh, community, in your church, that because of that, there's no clarity. That's the point. The point isn't like, oh, wow, what is that? The point is, no, that is not benefiting the community of believers. And so Paul speaking to the Corinthians, what he does is he moves into this first person. Look what he says in verse 6. 
Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge? See how Paul always does that? Paul always says when he is going into a situation and he has a hard thing to tell the Corinthians, he always puts himself in their position. And so he could have spoken to the Corinthians however he wanted, but Paul says, listen, I'm I'm one of you. I'm part of this. And so Paul says that this this speaking in these foreign languages without an interpreter is of no value to the person. But he says, here's some things that are value. He says, you know, there's, there's, um, there's the, again, this word of instruction. There's, a, there's the, a foretelling of this prophecy. There's all those things. Those are beneficial. And then he uses examples from everyday life. He says the flute and the harp. If you just go up to a flute and you've never played the flute before, what's going to happen? Dong, 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 dong. And it's not going to work. If you ever tried to play a flute before, those things are hard to play. Right? It doesn't have any beauty to it because what does Paul say? He uses those as illustrations. There needs to be a distinction between the notes. If I just go up to a guitar and just blong, 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 it, that, that, that's not beneficial. In fact, it's called noise, and we don't, uh, noise is irritating, and it, it, it causes that thing in our brains. And so what Paul says is, there, there needs to be this clarity, because if you are speaking in a way that people are being confused, or people are being not built up, or people that are being discouraged, Paul says it's just like the harpist, just running the fingers all over the strings, but not playing any pleasing melody. If the notes are not clear or intelligible, it's of no benefit. In other words, if you can't play the thing, stop. <laughs> if you've ever been in a group of, of, um, of kids, um, there's a piano downstairs. And what do little kids like to do? They like to run up. And uh, are, they, are, are they playing the piano? Or are they making noise with the piano? They're making lots of noise. Clonk, 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 clonk. And Paul says this. It's not a pleasing melody because the notes and there's not a distinction. And so what he says is, Corinthians, if other believers are subjected to your intelligent, unintelligible speaking, this, this noise, they won't know what's being said. So how will anyone be edified? And then he says about a human speech. You know, Greek was the common language in Paul's day. The region had many languages. You could contact uh, people that spoke in all different kinds of languages, but Greek was the, was the language everybody knew. And so what Paul was saying was, it's the same with speech, that people, it, it's not just what you're saying, it's what the person is hearing is, 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 uh, is where, the, where communication happens. Listen, this is where we get in trouble with communication, isn't it? We will say something, but the other person doesn't hear it how we're saying it. And if you've uh, had any relationship at all, you should be nodding your head. Like, don't a lot of our problems happen when we say something, but it's not received how we mean it? And what do we say? That's not how I meant it, but that's how you heard it. And so communication is, the, the hear, it's, it's hearing, but it's also, it's also speaking clearly. And Paul says, listen, the point is that you want other people to be built up. So it is with you. He says in verse 12, so it is with you. So again, Paul's using these illustrations and he's using these examples of these chaotic settings when believers were getting together and it was chaos and nobody was being built up and, and, and nobody could understand. And then he says, there's some things in life we know that that has to happen with. That is what? It is like mu- musical instruments. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want your life to be like you, your, your, your interactions, I want them to be like you are playing an instrument, like playing an instrument. 
not making noise with an instrument, but playing an instrument. And sometimes, because we are focused on ourselves, not focused on the other person, I'm just making noise. Remember what Paul said about if I do things without love, what is it like? It's like a clanging cymbal or a gong. It's just a lot of noise. And Paul says this, believers, if you come together and you're not, and you're not focused on the other person's needs, what they need at the moment, what, they, what, what, what builds them up, if you're only treating them based on you, you are, you are like that gong. You are like a, a musical instrument that's just making noise and not music. And so in this first section of 1 Corinthians, the point is not the wow things. Like, it's not the, it's not the tongues, and it's not that. Paul's just using them as illustrations. He says those things are causing problems because you're focused on yourself and you're not focused on the other person. So here is how we love the body. Here is how we love the body. The body, remember, not my body, but the body. Because there's a, there's a responsibility for us to what? Love the body. So here's some bodybuilding things that Paul gives us in this first section of 1 Corinthians 14. And it's not about the gifts. That's the illustration. So what does he say? The first thing he says is this. Is you are, are to speak to edify. Look what he says. He says in verse 2, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. You know why? Because God understands every language. Indeed, no one, no one understands them. They utter mysteries. But the one who speaks clearly speaks to people for what? Their strengthening. That word for strengthening is over and over and over and over in 1 Corinthians 14. Agape love was 1 Corinthians 13. That was agape love is to do, is to make the choice, to make the decision to do the best thing for the other person. It's a love that sacrifices. That's what, that's what agape love is. And, and so what Paul's saying now in chapter 14 is part of that sacrificial love is as, as how you speak to one another, how you communicate to one another, how you how come across to other people, because that is a way for what? Strengthening. So that word strengthen, look up, just in that first section of the first Corinthians, how many times do we see that? Strengthen, edify, build up. All those have the same root word. And Paul says, believers, this is our job and so as we, as we talk about current events, we talk about coronavirus, we talk about climate change, whatever those things are, we look at the reality of situations, but my job is to speak to edify, not to stoke and not to incite and not to, uh, not to do all. My, my job is what? To speak. Because Paul says over and over, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, your job is to speak to edify. Now listen, we have all been on receiving ends of people who did not speak to edify us. They put us down. They called us names. They, you know, we've all been there. and We know what that feels like. And Paul says, listen, as a believer though, as someone who knows Jesus, someone who maybe has incredible talents and gifts, your job is to speak to edify. What's edify mean? Edify means to, to build up, to fortify, because there's a lot of things in life that will cause us and to tear us down. And Paul says, no, you as a believer are to be a body, what? Builder. 
And if in my speaking, I am not clear and I'm not doing, uh, I'm not edifying, what am I doing? I'm taking, I'm, I'm tearing down the building. Which is why we have, to, we, we have to be very conscious about how we speak to one another about everything. It doesn't matter what it is, but Paul gave us a few ways we can do that. He says in verse 3, But the one who prophesies, why does he say that? The one who is speaking clearly, what? Speaks to people for three things. They're strengthening, they're encouraging, and they're comfort. Man, do we need that today? Do we need as believers, to speak to each other in ways that strengthen, encourage, and comfort? Absolutely. We absolutely do. Listen, that the world does not want to do this. The world wants to keep us not strengthened, but weak. Why? Because then we have to keep going back to them for our strength. The world does not want to encourage us, but to discourage us. Have you seen the things on, uh, on the news? Um, you go into this. Maybe you've done that. Uh, you've gone into, like, Costco. There's, like, no toilet paper. Coronavirus affects your chest, <laughs> not your... Anyhow, like, there's this thing, right? And so we have... So we see the picture, and you're like, oh, my. I've only got 12 rolls of toilet paper. What am I going to do? I'll steal some from church. <laughs> no, right? We do that. And the world does it. Instead of encouraging what it was, it wants to discourage us. Instead of comforting, listen, there, yes, horrible things are happening, but listen, you're okay. You're, right? Instead of comforting, they want to they discomfort us. It's, it's awful. Have you, have you noticed um, the headlines? The, the, like, um, it's existential threat. Have you seen that? Have you ever seen that term before until recently? Everything's an existential threat. Existential means our existence, right? It's a threat to our existence. Like everything's an existential threat now. It doesn't matter what it is. It's an existential threat. Listen, if everything's an existential threat, nothing's an existential threat. And so the, the, the world and the media wants to discomfort us why? So we keep going back to them, right? We keep supporting them. And, and so, but, but Paul says this, listen, in the church, our job is to have stewardship of our speech. We talk about stewardship of our money, but God says also have stewardship of your speech. What does that mean? That means you don't have to spend it all in one place. Sometimes just being quiet is the best thing we can do. There is a plethora of words, isn't there? Like uh, industries, right? And, and, and I keep talking about social media and, and, and uh, news, but they're, they're built on what? Words. So how do, you, how do you fill an hour with a one-minute news story? You just keep talking about it over and over and over and over. And it's, but as believers, Paul says, listen, you need to strengthen and courage and comfort. How do we strengthen? 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says, Have you been thinking all along we have de- been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as, cho- as those in Christ. And listen to what Paul says. Everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Paul says when you speak, to, when you, speak you should be strengthening someone else. Building, propping them up, not 
taking away their, their support and their foundation by the ways that we talk about things. And so Paul says, listen, speak for their strengthening. In First Thessalonians, he says, Timothy came to what? Strengthen and encourage. Encourage is the next thing that Paul says in verse 3. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. What does Paul say? We are to encourage. Do you know what courage is? Courage is to come alongside someone. It also means to call forth. That's what the root word of encourage is, 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 is a para, which means come alongside. Parable, you know, alongside. Para, and then to call forth. And here's what encouragement means. Encouragement means I come alongside someone and I call forth. What do you call forth from someone? You call forth. You can do this. God's got you. You have, there, there's, there's, you know, God's in charge. He's sovereign. He's, he's in control, right? And so what does Paul say? Paul says, as we speak intelligently, it's not about me, but it's, a, it's, it's to encourage. We can't really encourage ourselves, can we? Like, I guess we can. Like, like we can, but isn't it better when somebody else encourages us? Isn't it better when somebody else comes alongside of you and says, you can do this. You've got this. You're like, yeah, I do. That's why it means come alongside and it means to call forth. And so Paul says in our speaking, that's what we do. In fact, in Romans 15, 4, Paul says this, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know why that stuff's in the Bible? So we can have encouragement and hope. We can have encouragement and hope no matter what happens in life, whether it's exile in Egypt or exile in Babylon or Jesus who was killed and then he rose from the dead three days later, right? We have hope. And that's what encouragement does. Encouragement is we pull out hope from people. And Paul says, listen, believers, in your speaking, you need to be encouraging each other. There's no room for chicken littles in the church. You remember Chicken Little got hit with a, what was it, acorn, a walnut? The sky is falling, the sky is falling. <laughs> and uh, everybody's like, what are you talking about? Because it was her experience, and she interpreted everything that way, and so she ran around and, 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 and found out it was, like, the, she, was, she was the nut. It wasn't the nut, she was the nut. And so we, we encourage, or we call forth. What do you say? We comfort. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See what Paul says? We are to be rivers. We, it's, it, we are to be passed through agents so that when we are comfort, we, just, we don't just hold it all to ourselves and say, oh yeah, God, you're like a, you're like a nice uh, quilted blanket holding me. God's like, no, the reason I'm holding you is so that you can hold somebody else. The reason I'm comforting you is so that you can comfort somebody else. He says, and then he says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Paul's the ultimate realist. Paul says, you know what? 
in life there's suffering and there's hard things and there's troubles that come. There just is. We focus on the what ifs. But Paul says, listen, you just look at what is. You worry about what is. What do you know now? What is now? And as God comforts us, then we can, well, we can comfort someone else. Comfort helps us to know that we are not alone. Don't you just need somebody to come alongside of you and say that? Even in this world that we live, as we talk about viruses and, and uh, diseases and all kinds of Don't we just need somebody to come alongside of us to say, you know, we're not alone. Yes, we are anxious at times. Yes, there's an uncertainty at times. Yes, there, yes, there may be, be, maybe even some fear at times. But you know what? We're not alone. And together, we're going to comfort each other. We're going to encourage each other. And we're going to get through this together. Don't you just need somebody to tell you that? That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Believers, as we speak to one another... That's why I joked about, you know, getting up and leaving. If, if that's how, why? Because you're not being comforted at that point. You're not being encouraged at that point. You're not being strengthened at that point. And Paul says what? That's what we are supposed to do to when we are together. Listen, I've been in those settings, right? And it goes from the Lord is good to we're all going to die, like in a matter of minutes. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, those things are happening, but God's still good. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Let's strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. And so what do we do? Paul says we speak to edify. He says it's, it's the clarity of the speech. It's like the musical instruments that are playing the melodies. That's what our lives are to be, so people understand us. But he says in verse 3, here's what happens when, people, when you, you speak for what? They're strengthening, encouraging, and their comfort. But the second thing he tells us is what? We also seek to edify. He says in verse 12, so it is with you, since you are eager. Actually, it's not necessarily gifts of the Spirit. It's so that you are eager for the spiritual things. He says, try to excel in those that build up the church. He says in verse 1, eagerly desire. So what Paul is saying is you try to excel and you eagerly desire. It's a proactive thing. You seek it out. When you go to a place on vacation, what do you do? Maybe before you get there or after you get there, what do you do? You seek out things, right? You seek out restaurants and you seek out fun places to go. And you seek out shopping if you like to shop. Or you seek out golf courses if you like to play golf. What do we do? We seek them out. We don't just sit in the hotel room and we say, Man, I just wish the, idea, the address for the golf course would just plop into my head. No, we have to seek it out. And so that's what Paul says, as we are looking to build up the body of Christ, we have to seek to edify. It is a proactive approach. I love my body by looking for others that I can build up. I seek other people out who I can comfort and who I can strengthen and who I can encourage. Then what happens is my needs will be met as I meet the needs of other people. We don't come, we don't gather together as believers to look for ways that others minister to us. But what if we started looking and seeking ways to minister to others? We will what? Strengthen, encourage, and build, comfort them. And guess what this happens at the same time? We are strengthened as well. If I just look for how my needs are going to be met, they're never going to be met. But if I look to meet your needs, then my needs will also be met. It's a cycle of seeking, edifying, strengthening, and seeking again, and we're edifying. It's like the water cycle. You know, remember the water cycle from your earth science classes? What happens? The, 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 the water rains on the earth. 
Um, it runs in streams and rivers. It evaporates. What does it do? It evaporates. It goes back into the clouds. In the clouds form, what does it do? Then it rains again, right? There's this water cycle. And that's all Paul's saying about this strengthening of the church. It's like the water cycle. You as the cloud, you strengthen, comfort, and encourage others. You rain on them. You give to them, right? And sometimes we are the dry ground that needs the rain. And so Paul says, you seek that out. And what's going to happen as you, as you comfort and as you give, the water's going to evaporate back up to you again. So that what? So now you can seek to comfort somebody else. That's why it's a cycle. It's a, it's a river that passes through us. And so Paul says that. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, no one's to seek their own good, but what? But the good of others. You know the reason we gather together? Look on your notes, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. You know what consider means? Seek. I'm considering. I'm I'm thinking about it. We may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does he say? That's why we get together. It's so that we can consider how to spur somebody else on. I don't get together so I can consider how I can be spurred on. I get together to see how I can spur you on. My job as a believer is to seek ways to edify the body, is to speak into the body. In this whole first section, Paul is talking about our speaking, about our communication. He says, why? He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, some people, some folks think that the day is the return of Jesus. You know, we live in this time and Jesus is coming back again. So we we, we see his return. And so we want to encourage uh, um, each other because he's coming back. But there's also other interpreters, commentators that say this. No, the day was a day of persecution because the church was entering into this wilderness time of severe persecution after the first century. And if you know anything about history, that the first century, the second century was not kind to believers. And so it could be that Paul is saying, believers, the reason you need to get together is so you can spur one another on so that you can encourage one another because there are some tough times coming. There is. We can say, well, we're in tough times now. And the writer of Hebrews says, that's exactly right. You are. That's why you need to get together. You need to encourage one another. You need to speak to one another. What does he say in Hebrews chapter 10? He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to what? To love, right? To the interests of others and good deeds, not give up meeting together, but encouraging one another. How do we encourage one another? What he says in verse 3. So in the midst of struggle and hope, we need to be what? We need to be strengthened. We just do. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. I want you to speak to edify. Don't tear down. I want you to speak. How do I do that? I encourage, I strengthen, and I comfort. Imagine how the body of Christ would grow and be so much different if that's how we talk to each other. I'm not talking about sharing, not sharing hardships and struggles in our lives, right? That's, that's totally different. Paul, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying when you communicate 
What are you communicating to others? Are you communicating things that are strengthening and encouraging and comforting? Or are you tearing down? Are you sowing discord? Are you sowing fear? Are you sowing doubt? Are you sowing all those things? And Paul says that's not building up the body. We as believers are to encourage one another. And don't we need people in our lives to come alongside of us? And instead of saying, oh man, it's so terrible. Instead, what if they say, you know what, it's bad, but we can do this with God. You know, the world is not a great place to be. It's never been since Genesis chapter 3. But with God, we can do this. Are you with me? With God, you can do this. I want to encourage you. I want to come alongside of you and pull out from you. Not pull out your fear, but I want to pull out your faith. That's what encouragement is. Encourage, uh, occur means heart. And so in your heart and to come alongside, I want to pull out of, out of you. I want to pull out faith. I don't want to pull out your fear. Paul says, believers, that's what we're to do. Listen, 1 Corinthians 14 is never more relevant for than where we are right now here today. Who would have thunk it? And as we live our lives in the body of Christ, and that's why I was serious about how we talk about this, uh, diseases and how we talk about uh, climate change. How we, well, listen, we look at these things and we, we say, yes, here's what, here's, here's what it is. But also as a believer, I am to, what? We can do this. We can do this. I want to fill you with some courage when you are uncertain and you are fearful. We can do this. I want, to, I want to fill you with that. And as believers, we relate to one another on that level. That's all Paul's saying. How are you doing it speaking to edify? How are, you, how are you doing in your life about speaking into lives and speaking into situations and speaking into places where you are strengthening and encouraging and are comforting? You say, well, I'm not sure I can do that. Well, here's the simple solution. Don't speak. That's all it is. You've seen memes and I've seen memes. And it says what? Fear is more contagious than the coronavirus. <laughs> and isn't that true? You say, well, I just don't know if I can encourage. I don't know if I can be comforting. Then don't speak. That's one way we can show love. It's just not by speaking. I don't have to spread that. Maybe I need to be comforted, right? Maybe I need to receive. Maybe I need somebody to come alongside of me and say, you know what? Instead of having to fear, you can have some courage. You can have some strength. You can have some comfort in this. Remember what Jesus said, don't feel those, don't fear those who can kill the body, but what? Fear the one who can throw your soul into hell. Do you know what he said? You know what we could substitute? Don't fear those who can kill the body. So don't fear a disease that can kill your body. Don't fear a disaster that can kill your body. Don't fear an illness that can kill your body. Don't fear that. You fear God. He's the one that's in charge. What's the worst thing that could happen to us as Christians? It's not death. It is not death. It is being separated, not as a Christian, but it's, the worst thing that happen to a person is to be separated from God for eternity. That's the worst thing. None of us is getting out of here alive. We just aren't. Elijah ain't happening. There's no chariot, fiery chariot coming to get you. It's going to be one way or the other. Jesus says, 
that I've taken care of that. Now you trust me. And in the body of Christ, we can either be doing what Paul says, speaking to edify and seeking to edify, or we, we can be tearing down. And Paul says this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to build up. I want you to strengthen. I want you to encourage. I want you to comfort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life it gives. And yes, Father, there are, there are some hard things that we read. There are hard things that we need to hear sometimes. But God, there's probably nothing harder that we need to hear sometimes than, than how we speak to one another, how we either encourage, strengthen, and build up, or we tear down and discourage and, and weaken others. And Father, we love our body by building up our body, the church, by building up other believers. Doesn't mean we don't cry. Doesn't mean we don't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't need someone to talk to. That's not at all. But we proactively seek. That's the, we proactively seek ways to build up. God, you're calling us to be bodybuilders. Not the Arnold Schwarzenegger kind, but the kind that's in the body of Christ. We all need someone to comfort us at times. We all need someone to encourage us at times. We all need someone to strengthen us at times. And yes, Father, we also need to strengthen, comfort, and encourage others. It's a cycle. Father, how wonderful would that be as the body of Christ does that for each other? And we find that no matter what the storms of life are, no matter what the things in life are, no matter what the fears and uncertainty of life are, that we know we are part of a kingdom, part of a people who will strengthen us and encourage us and build us up. God, may we be that kind of people. May we be those, those speakers and those seekers to edify your body. And so, Father, forgive us for those times that we don't. So, Father, over these next few moments, we just have an opportunity to maybe confess and repent, to, to, uh, to proactively seek ways that we can comfort and strengthen and edify. But, God, that, that we would, would most certainly not be those that would, that would tear others down through the ways that we speak and the, and the things that agitate us and excite us. So minister to us now over these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? If you have a prayer need, the guys will meet you in the back. But all of us, let's pray. Give our lives and our hearts and our lips to the Lord.